Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. It's episode 173. We're recording on Thursday, September 1st. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. It's September. Hello. It is. It's not technically fall, but it's, it is de facto it's, fall. We all right. agree that September 1st is fall, right? Totally. It's like still in the 80s here, no. but it's overcast today, and like I will not be stopped from going to Target and buying a bunch of flannel. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little weird that Labor Day is so... Is it late? I guess it's late. No, it's always the it first. Like, yeah, it was like September 7th last year. It's always the first Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I always want it to be late August to be Labor Day. And so Labor Day weekend is the, the unofficial end of summer. School starting. Dropped my five-year-old off for his first day of kindergarten this morning. Oh. The backpacks and all the school supplies are at. So it feels like, feels like fall. Welcome to fall. Yes. It's and nice the, the, to it's be the here big book fall. season. It is the it, big book season. It's the big book season. We got kicked off with big book season on all the books this week. Yeah. So if you want to hear some highlights, you can check out Definitely my, go listen to that show. A really show. good preview for the fall books. Um, we've got some follow-up too. Uh, speaking, I didn't put this in here, but a fall book that was a summer book, but was supposed to be a fall book, The Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. You were, were you looking at the publisher weekly numbers for that? Did you see? No, I've been waiting because I like to be surprised by yeah. them when you talk about so them on the show. So it sold another 21,000 copies last week. So it's hey, actually hey. sold more this week than any of the prior weeks. It was the number one bestseller in Publishers Weekly uh, for hardcover fiction. Um, but for some perspective, because I'm that guy, I'm perspective guy apparently, <laughs> oh, the paperback no. of Girl on the Train sold 60,000 copies last week. Gosh, that train just keeps on going. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk to more surprising sales stuff, poetry of all things, which is a story you, you were I, hot I'm bothered still, about. Like, it's yeah. been a couple of days since this since that story, and I'm still sputtering. So the, we'll, the see story, if I can... well, we'll talk about it. But yeah, so we're looking, we'll, get, we'll talk to some sales, but the Underground Railroad marches on. We're on the cusp, too, of Oprah's next book club pick. Um, yes. The smoke signal, I, I don't suppose to use that term. The, the indications are very strong. That's going to be what? Love Warrior? Is that the name of the book? Well, I mean, that had been the way it was oh, going. Oh, oh it had been. Okay. Yeah. Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle Melton. Hers, uh, which I've read and it's very in Oprah's wheelhouse. Mm. Um, and if you are into like Brene Brown, I think Love Warrior is going to be up your alley also. But because she was the one whose publicist was like, I can neither confirm nor deny mm-hmm, this. Yes. But I read something this week that claimed that the Oprah pick is a novel oh. again. Hmm. Um, and so now I'm, you know, between It's Macmillan, between. right? Yes. Swing t- I would say swing time would make sense, but that's Random House because we yeah. know it's FSG or Macmillan, I think, is what yeah, we know. Yeah, so I'm, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But 24-year-old uh, Jeff is very excited about this fall's books because a lot of 24-year-old – I mean, Whitehead is still, I think, you know, he's up there in my top 10 favorite living novelists, maybe top five, maybe top three. I might put him uh. out there with Marilyn and Tony. But but also, you know, Fower has a new book. Zadie Smith has a new book. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Shaben has a new book. These are all people I was very excited and, and continue to follow and read. But I would it would have been a huge a huge fall for twenty four year old Jeff um, 
back in the day. So those are those are some of the big fiction books too. A lot of other things yeah, come out. Yeah, and um, quick follow up. Speaking of big books, yes. we talked about the long list for the Center for Fiction's mm-hmm. first novel uh, prize a few weeks ago, and they have narrowed it down to the short list. And man, what a list! I still don't know how they even got to this short list because the long yeah. list was phenomenal. Um, seven books on this short list: The Castle Cross, The Magnet Carter by Kia Corthron. This is the one that I haven't really heard of. It's from Seven Stories Press. Uh, the Girls by Emma Klein, Here Comes the Sun by Nicole Dennis-Ben, Homegoing by Ya Jesse, How I Became a North Korean by I haven't Chris heard much Lee. about that one, this one. I haven't either. Yeah. Uh, we Love You, Charlie Freeman by Caitlin Greenidge, and What Belongs to You by Garth Greenwell. Uh, so six ladies. Yep. One dude. Happy to see that. Um, lots of people of color yeah, four on this black list. Women. Yeah, and the books are good. I've Very read, good. let's see, I've read three of mm. these. Um, it's, it's interesting, this is you know, a like, tough crowd. It is, you know, there is some, like, Here Comes the Sun, The Girls, Homegoing, and We Love You, Charlie Freeman. I would say those I all heard big pre pub buzz. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we try to figure out, and we, you know, one of the ongoing concerns of this show is what books get sold, how they get sold, who hears about them. So that four of these basically were, you know, I I guess you would call them, um, you know, uh, high school stars getting drafted. Like they were hype. Like we knew these were books Mm -hmm. were coming and that they've gone all the way through. I don't know if that's, if that's surprising, like what's the chicken and the egg situation there. If these hadn't been really talked up early, would they end up here? Would, would there be more like this Chris Lee, how I became North, you know, it's interesting to see, right? Because these are debut, especially so they don't have any name recognition coming in. There's no, you know, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the effect, uh, mere exposure effect that mm-hmm. people have heard their name before. But there is mere exposure effect in people who talk about books before they come out on Twitter or, you know, we do books we're excited about or whatever. We're talking about some of these books. Um, not to say they're not great. I mean, these are all really good books. But it is interesting that you could maybe have guessed based on pre-pub buzz alone a few of these titles. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's one of the things that publishers are hoping to achieve when they put a bunch of dollars and marketing time behind specific titles is getting people to talk about them early, getting them on the radars of people who are judging, you know, prizes. Like we're, we don't live in, you know, sort of like quarantined jury situations for these. And so, well, pre-pub guts could be merit-based too for all the, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's entirely possible. It's, but it's also, I think impossible to separate, no, to separate it out and say these books are 100% chosen just on their merit. Mm -hmm. Um, because books that, you know, come in, if you're paying a lot of attention to books online, are you saying there's no objective objective standard for quality? Is that, is that, is that what you're saying? I really think I might be Jeff. Some people on the (laughs) internet are going to be very unhappy about this. (laughs) Only Seven minutes into this show, too, and yeah. we're already going to anger everyone. Uh-huh. Like, you know, I think even if you started with a panel of judges for these things that weren't online at all, that didn't read anything like from the book industry, that had no idea, mm-hmm. you they would still come in with their own biases. But you're sure. not wrong that a bunch of these, uh, several of these books on this short list, well, like also the had large market budgets. About that. Like two years like ago, because it got a huge ago. advance, yeah, right? right. Mm-hmm. We were like, and we were like, we're going to pay attention to this. It was like a, a seven-figure advance, low seven figures. Yeah. So anyway, it's but all, all having said all that, um, a great list, really good list. If you're looking for some debut fiction, especially um, you like to find new writers, uh, go go find yeah, some of these. Definitely worth checking out. Yep. We should roll on to our first sponsor. Sponsors, we have uh, Marilyn Robinson news. Oh, then we do have Marilyn Robinson news. We'll, we'll find any reason, really. It's Audible is back. True. As you know, Audible is the leading provider 
of audiobooks from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine, newspaper publishers, business information providers. Basically, if you like audiobooks, if you love audiobooks, if you want to get into audiobooks, Audible is the gold standard in audiobook providers. You can download and listen on your any device really you have that you use, you know, that's not something you dug up um, or was like something they used on Stranger Things, like a walk, you know, Discman or something like that. I didn't even add that. They would Walkman or something. If it's a modern thing that can connect somehow to the internet, probably they have an app that works and those apps are free. Unlike a streaming or rental service or getting an audiobook at the library, frankly, with Audible, you own your book forever. You can access your books anytime. I don't listen to audiobooks over and over again, but I, knew some, I know some people who do. And they listen to certain audiobooks just for the feel of it. And so they have it on their audio, Audible app anytime they want to listen to it. Also, it's the great listen guarantee. If for some reason you don't like the book you chose, no worries. It doesn't even have to be the first five minutes. You can get well into it. They don't ask any questions. They want to make sure that you are paying for and keeping the audiobooks you really want to listen to. Um, I, you know, I just listened. Let's see what I just listened to. I got, you know what? This might be one of my nerdier books picks of, I mean, and this is really, that's, <laughs> and that's re- saying something. that is really saying something. This book was all about a multi-decade study of the, uh, finches that Darwin first sort of discovered, uh, in the Galapagos Islands and based his theory of evolution on this couple, the Grants, they're biologists at, uh, Princeton, they have been going for six months a year and living on this tiny island in the Galapagos called Daphne Major and studying these, this one cohort of finches to show evolution in, in action. Okay, well, that's cool. They measure the beaks and they, they have all this longitudinal data. And, you know, the, thing, the, the crux of the matter is, you know, thinking about evolution, but also what it takes to do this kind of study and just their remarkable effort. But... In certain years, depending on the weather conditions, a difference of half a millimeter in beak length can make the difference between a certain cohort of finches surviving or not surviving. That's amazing. A half a millimeter. What's the book? The Beaks of Finches is the name of the book. It's a seven-hour read um, if you like birds or nerd stuff. I I found it fascinating. I was (laughs) riveted. um, And uh, this is one – and I haven't done this in a million years. I was at this museum. um, We were on vacation. And I was, you know, looking at the books – in the gift shop and I picked it up and I was like, you know what, if there's an audible version of this, I'm going to pick it up. And I, I did. And I listened to it. It was great. The beaks of finches. Um, boy, I got nerdy, I, but you know what? Yeah. Bring it on. Bring it, it just, on. We have embraced yeah. birds and nerd stuff yes. here. Yeah. Uh, I'm mine's pretty different from mm. that. I am <laughs> almost finished listening, but birds and nerd stuff is like in my wheelhouse too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm almost finished with the misadventures of awkward black girl by okay. Issa Rae. Yeah. Um, it came out in paperback earlier this summer, and I've had my eye on it since it came out last year originally. She is hilarious and smart. She had a YouTube, a couple YouTube series. Uh, and this is sort of a memoir, essay, humorous thing. Um, she writes about being an awkward person, about being a black girl, about her family's life, um, and sort of the confluence of those three things. Mm. And then there are great little breakout chapters that she calls the ABG guides, you mm-hmm. know, awkward black girl guide. Um, but you need not be awkward or a black girl um, to relate to many of them. There's one about like how to eat alone in public and not look like a total weirdo. Hmm. Uh, like without, you know, getting food all over yourself. I eat with gusto and very often end up wearing whatever I'm eating. It's <laughs> like, I can relate to you, Issa Rae. Um, she's just really funny. Like this it is ringing those bells of having a friend along for the drive or the walk or the workout who's just hmm. telling you funny 
smart, interesting things about their life and the way that they look at the world. Um, I really like it. If she put out, like if she had a podcast that I could listen to an hour of her every week or something, mm, that's I, interesting. Would, I would totally just listen to Issa Rae tell stories about her life. Um, that would be a good really, list is uh, writers who sh- we want to have a pod. We wish yes. we had a podcast. Yeah, that would be a good one. But it's been great. I'm really enjoying it on audio. And then uh, Bob has started listening to The Night Circus. Aha! <laughs> which uh, we were The like, Cirque going du Rev through. has captured another, another victim. It has. Like, it's a little different from his usual wheelhouse, but he's been, like, coming in the door from work with this sort of dazed look on his face <laughs> of, like, I just had this 30-minute drive home and I was listening to The Night Circus. And I'm like, all right, I'll, you need to just decompress and re-enter the real world. I, 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 was, I was mentioning on the read, like, some people listen over, and I've said a million times, Michelle will listen yeah. to it when, like, it has a soothing effect. It's it's otherworldly. It's it's something. That's something. Jim Dale's narration of the night. Well, good. Uh, yeah, Michelle and Bob can bond over. Um, they totally can. They're revelers, the followers of the Cirque du Rev. Uh, shall we talk well, about it's Audible po- uh, go, no, There's a new URL. So if you've listened to the oh, show yes. a million years and you want to get a free trial, a free 30-day trial membership, go to audible.com slash book Super easy. Yep. Free 30-day trial. Thanks so much to Audible for sponsoring the show. Uh, speaking of writers that I would listen to on a podcast. Um <sighs> Marilyn Robinson wins the Dayton Literary Prize. The Dayton Literary Prize is it's it's kind of the biggest literary prize on the DL that there is. Like it's a huge deal. Yeah, um, it's an international. Oh, it's the Dayton Literary Peace Prize. Peace Prize, excuse me. And there is a Dayton Literary Prize as well. Okay, but they have a lot of money. the The, the Dayton Literary Prize, I think, is two hundred fifty grand. Oh, which is a a, a big pot of money. That um, is a big way pot bigger for than the National Book Award or the Pulitzer Prize for sure. Um, but the the the, the National Literary Peace Prize, um, not a surprise. No, not a surprise. Um, I you know like we said with Morrison when she won something recently, like is there awards that they're eligible for that they haven't won, or that uh, they couldn't that they couldn't win? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so yeah, let's I see. loved what uh, Carol Langer, yeah. who is the chair of the Department of English at Wright State University wrote this um, piece at the, I guess, the homepage for the Dayton Literary Peace Prize, where she talks about how Robinson's fiction works on a couple of levels and that uh, on the sort of deeper level of it, she invites us to contemplate how a virtuous patina permits us to mask our darker selves. Thus, the good people of Gilead, the setting for her most recent Mm. three novels, hearken back to their town's abolitionist past, but in their present, engage in or simply accept the sort of petty acts of passive and not so passive racism and sexism that can drive a black or mixed race family or a single mother from town. Um, and just such, I would, I would listen to Marilyn Robinson like every day on a podcast. Mm-hmm. That's how I would get religion. Um, but I could read people's thoughtful writing about yeah. Marilyn Robinson <laughs> right. just all day long. Yeah. Really interesting that, that this puts, um, I guess usually when we talk about a Marilyn Robinson prize or something like that's about a, it's about fiction, um, or one of the collections of essays, but this also makes an effort to shout out her non-collected essays and non-fiction writing in places mm-hmm. like the Chronicle of a Higher Education and NYRB and The Nation and Harper's and other places like that. Yeah. Um, a beautiful uh, – as for a non-fiction fiction one-two punch – very difficult to find a peer for her. She, it really is. Um, and Even if the great Tomo, when she wants I to was, write nonfiction, she's great, but she doesn't write that much of it. Right. There's not a Tomo or at least a recent Toni Morrison equivalent of Robinson's like The Givenness of no. Things or When I Was a Child, I Read Books yep. uh, essay collections, which are both just That's great. 
Just like stuff. you got to sit down and read those sentences slowly. <laughs> Annie Dillard comes to mind. Mm. Um, not quite the same. Uh, Whitehead, you know, he's written uh-huh. he's written nonfiction, Colossus of New York and The Noble Hustle. Um, but an ongoing commitment <laughs> to nonfiction essays and argumentation mm-hmm. too for Robinson as well. So, all right, we 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 did our we did our burnt Mary offerings. Um, we yeah. can we can move on. I was just sitting here having like writing some headcanon about Marilyn Robinson and Terry Tempest Williams, like creating oh. a religion. <laughs> yeah, like, it's interesting. that's how you're going to lose me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a, that's a good point. <laughs> um, we're, let's talk stats, publishing stats. <sighs> PRH, um, real quick. They mm-hmm. first half of 2016 results there. They're not the bellwether. They're like the S&P 500 of books, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're not the whole stock market, but they're a huge and, you know, representative indicator of it. Um, Their earnings and sales fell by more than 10% in the first half of 2016 compared to the same period in 2015. Um, Again, they don't break stuff out like this, but they said that the the ongoing softness in eBooks is a a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, they didn't have a girl on the train. I can't imagine. Now, I know it sold a lot of copies, but PRH is a global, you know, they do $3.7 billion uh, a year in revenue. Can th- I mean, I know the Golden Trade sold 3 million copies, but I that's $60 million. That doesn't seem to me to be an, I don't know. I, I, maybe there's something else I'm missing here, but um, that, that book alone was enough for a giant, like the biggest publisher that's ever yeah. lived to be down 10%. They're like the one, that boggles my mind. Now, if it's Glastic and Harry Potter... That I can understand. I think it's more like not just the girl on the train, but we didn't have a bestseller. And they gray, of that they gray, type. they mentioned too. Like, and right. I do wonder how long the or how long the long tail of Fifty Shades of Grey mm. was for Penguin Random House, and they sort of rode that long tail right into. It seems to me, at least, that they sort of rode that right into the girl on the train, or like they were coasting sort of on. Yeah what was going on with 50 shades of gray long enough to get, cause it's been a few years since the girl on the train came out in hardcover, I think. Um, no, I think that, it was January of 2015. I was think, it? I think oh, so. Man. I mean, they also had the full year of, I mean, it was, right. hit, it was, the, mm-hmm. it hit just right to make one year's worth of big difference. Like, I would just be surprised that sort of for how long, for how many years can a big bump like yeah, 50 shades of gray I, affect your year over year comps? I don't know. I don't know. And they didn't have a gray and gray sold a couple million copies too yeah. in various forms. Um, and I'm sure gray is, and gray sold a lot on digital. I know yeah, um, they were expecting some of it um, because of the, they were expecting a drop in ebook sales due to changed retail terms, which is basically code for like, we can't collude anymore. Oh, yeah. We rate the prices went up and we can't, you know, things like that. We can't collude. Um, and you know, big publishers are keeping ebook prices high as they try to protect um, the value of print. And they say in the statement from the CEO, Marcus Dole, I guess is how to do it. He's German. Um, that print continues to be strong. Um, so anyway, that's, that's, that's the PRH's earnings and sales. If you're looking for a single line item for the health of the book publishing industry, which I think we meaningfully can separate from the reading or book industry, the book publishing industry suggests that it's a bit of a down year, um, 
for publishing. Now, individual publishers like Scholastic, I don't think 2016 is going to be down for them. Um, but all along the Watchtower, it, it could be. Mm-hmm. So that's where we and are. They're, yeah, they're, you know, they say increasingly working on putting the emphasis on connecting directly with the reader, um, something that we've seen publishers attempting to do ever since publishers realized that the internet wasn't going away, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. Yep. Um, so interesting to see what they'll continue to work Another on Another publisher, oh yeah. Discover, uh, yeah, Discovery, deploying new technologies and a bunch of online marketing, basically. Yeah, they're trying to, whatever. I, I've yet to see a publisher do a great job of um, helping grumble, readers, grumble, readers finding books online better than yeah. they do. We'll see if they can come up with something. Speaking of an, a publisher that's not going to have a down 2016, <gasps> this is the story I think that we're most interested in this week. Um, Andrews, Andrews McNeil Publishing is a publisher based in Kansas City, primarily known for humor. And, I've never heard of this before. Actually, before this year, we had I think we're doing some business with them uh, in full disclosure mm-hmm. for advertising on the site. Um, but they have a major hit with a poetry book. Major. Like, major. Big so hit. Major. Big hit. It's I like I was just agog and aghast when the, yeah, when the title so far week. in 2015 has sold 450,000 copies to date and <laughs> continues to move around 30,000 copies per week. She is outselling Colson Whitehead who had the help of Oprah. Just and um this this is a story in Publishers Weekly that you read first. I read it in print <sighs> just uh, yesterday. The the thing that gets me, and we'll come back to talk about the book and, itself in a minute, is the short answer for why is they kind of don't know. Yeah, they don't know. They it's, they they say it's her social media following, and I looked, and she has a very good social media following. She has five hundred eighty five thousand. Her her name, I don't think we've shouted out her name, which is Rupi Cower. Rupi Cower. The the book is Milk and Honey. Five hundred eighty five thousand followers on Instagram. Very very respectable number. Fifty one uh, better than respectable. Fifty one thousand on Twitter. Twelve thousand on YouTube. So she has a big. But we've seen cele- – I mean, Amy Schumer's book came out this week, and it mm-hmm. sold 30,000 copies. Yeah, like, so it, that's not it. That, that is part – a necessary but not sufficient condition, I guess. If yeah, really it's it. – a large social media following is not a guarantee of big book sales, and it's not an explanation of 450,000 no, no, copies. No, 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 um, They say – so they're, they're looking – and they're talking about a specific niche – but I don't know how four hundred not in it. But the the they're 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 thinking at aiming these kinds of titles, and they're getting into more poetry books. Um, they're going to release ten next year after releasing five this year, um, of young women, especially twenty mm-hmm. something, that are amenable or experienced or you know into spoken word poetry, especially performance poetry. Um, I haven't. Have you read a poem out of this? Have you looked at it at all? I, I know not nothing about this. it. No, I'm I going to look at this. it. I definitely yeah, will pick I've it up. I ordered a copy of it after this showed up. Like I've been seeing people mention the book off and on, just you know, in my social feeds, but no one. I hadn't gotten like a first person recommendation about mm-hmm. it, or and no, or no one had like pitched it in a way that was so compelling that I couldn't ignore it any longer. Um, but this, like, for, so to put this number in perspective, if Publishers Weekly were yeah. tracking these poetry. sales, they like, don't break these out were, poetry. They don't have a breakout category for poetry. I don't know if since this was originally self-published, the those copies were included, or like those probably couldn't be included in BookScan or whatever. But like I went back and I looked at the best-selling books of 2015. And if she stopped right now, if she didn't sell any more, yeah. if she just stopped at 450,000 copies, she would have been in eighth place 
in the best-selling books of 2015 um, in the Publishers Weekly list right behind To Kill a Mockingbird. It's insane. I mean, and we haven't it's heard just, of it. We do this for a living and we hadn't heard about it. Now, that like, says something about what we do in poetry and blah, 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 but even right, and also so. that it had to sell 450,000 copies before someone started talking about how it was taking off. Well, they were talking like, about this other poetry book. They have Lullaby or... Uh, uh, sorry, I've lost the tra- this- love and misadventure. Is that yeah, it? yeah, yeah. By another poet, uh, poet um, Lang Liev. It sold one hundred and fifty thousand copies to date. Like that's a that huge a hit deal. for any that book, let alone poetry. Like- a hundred, yeah, a hundred thousand copies for a book of poetry is basically unheard of. Yeah, like, I, I don't, I don't. It's like I, read it. I don't, I don't even. even my Angelou back in the day. I can't even sure, like, like Shel Silverstein. I guess Doctor Seuss is, crack that for no, a citizen. Not four hundred fifty. I mean, I could be wrong about that. No, but. I was asked like the hundred thousand. Oh yeah, I think if I had to guess, I mean, I guess I mean, Doctor like, Seuss is technically poetry, but whatever. But like, I mean, if we're talking about like, so like Claudia Rankine is an example. Yeah, if you have to. Otherwise, be on the order of a National Book Award nominated collection of poetry to start even approaching sales. Yeah. Like that. Like poetry is often the category that people mention when they're like, well, we publish, like we publish, you know, your Dan Browns and your James Pattersons so that we can underwrite stuff that doesn't sell like poetry and essays. Um, Yeah. This to me is now the single most interesting book of the year. Yes. Hands down. 400 i just can't like i can't yeah um it's i i think they're on to like the fact that the publisher is like we don't really know we think it has to do with who she is online Every, but also everyone who, who follows her. on instagram would have to buy a copy i mean that's not that's not how this but, works no, like, like it's something it has to it kind of has to be that the answer is word of mouth but, right like, the first the first point of contact with the book in some community is someone who follows her online probably. And then that person reads it and is like, this is amazing. And they buy it for 10 friends or they recommend it to everybody that follows them on Twitter. Like the only explanation for this is a halo effect or like a snowball. Yeah. I I am. I, I'm not usually shocked by publishing stories. This is a shocking story. Like this is a, this is a real yeah. surprise. I was just like perusing the Publishers Weekly website uh-huh. and saw the like how to sell nearly a million books of poetry. And I was like, is the answer B, Dr. Seuss? Yeah, that, <laughs> right. I don't understand. Like show, maybe you would expect to be like, you know, the uh, where the sidewalk ends just sold its millionth copy. Like you'd expect that to be the right. the, the actual story it's on the slug like that. It's amazing. It's amazing. If you've read this book. Shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. And if you can remember, or, notoriously, we've talked about this before, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's hard to remember when you hear something word about like where, who. Um, but if you've read it, if you've heard about it, if you could give us any form of information, we need um, data. What We and, need anecdata as bad, yes, badly needed. Yes, give us your anecdata. And like if you're a bookseller who's been hand-selling oh, the yeah. crap out of this, I would love to know that too. Because I think that's a real possibility for a, a success like this. Yeah. Where you're like, where did all this come from? Well, if you've got some booksellers that are putting it into 100 people's hands mm-hmm. over the course of a quarter or a year. Or was it know, Barnes & that, Noble that like a bunch of people – like she, yeah. she makes a lot of, bunch of appearances. But we know authors – I mean well, all the things okay, they describe so, could be other authors – but like, spoke, speaking of her appearances, though, when I was tweeting about this, all just like sputtering uh-huh. into the void about like how, what, why is no <laughs> one talking about this? Someone who follows me on Twitter responded and said that they were at a book event, I think in Toronto, okay. and that Ruby Cower was appearing at the bookstore the same night that they were there to attend a Juno Diaz event. Okay. And that like they thought, you know, the Juno Diaz event was going to be the big draw, but that there was a line. He like he tweeted me a photo and there was a line of people like wrapped around a 
a city block really? waiting to go into Rupi Cower's event. Like it's she is wow, that's touching some sort of nerve. Hmm. It's really amazing. Um, I want to I want to talk to her and also just a huge congratulations. Oh, like, to Andrews McNeil, to Rupi Cower. Um, good job, book buyers. Uh, I'm thrilled. I couldn't be. I'm tickled pink about this story. I really am fascinated. I'm really also very pleased that it's happening for a smaller yes. publisher. Like Took a McNeil, shot and it worked. I, I, right. Andrews McMeal, I think you said at the top of the spot, like they published mostly humor and gift books. Uh-huh. They didn't publish their first poetry collection until 2013. Like this is not a thing that they've been doing oh. forever or that they have a long track record or a bunch of, you know, institutional wisdom about. And that might really be to their benefit. They don't have a like way that we've always done it for books of poetry collection for books of poetry. And it, it does sound um, like there is a grassroots thing going on with these poets because in the part about the Lang Lev book and when Anders McNeil was signing him, her, I'm not sure. I, I didn't know if I saw the gender. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, it doesn't matter. While Lev was negotiating with Anders McNeil, he had pu- self-published some poetry books and was getting requests from Barnes & Noble for copies of his self-published books. So I'm guessing that people were coming in to the store or searching at BN.com for the Blue Day book by, and it wasn't showing up there. And I'm sure they're looking and seeing what don't we, what are people looking for that we don't have, and how can we get some? So there is this, there is some sort of grassroots outside of the normal mm-hmm. um, that that very same buzz machine we were talking about with uh, the Center for Pig. This is outside of that. This is something well, else. And uh, I, don't I just know googled. What it is. Langleave um, is a woman, a woman, okay. and has 129,000 Twitter followers. Oh, and let's see. I but Mindy Kaling has 5 million too. Twitter followers. Wait, She's not selling 500,000 copies right. of a book. And 262,000 followers. So here's – I like maybe this is one of those pockets that the market has always existed, but the way to reach the market has not maybe. always existed. I guess. Maybe, and yeah. the internet is allowing like a spoken word poet – it's the it's the it's the romance of poetry. Like there's this, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, there's some other unsatisfied or created market, or these these women poets are doing something new and it's exciting, and people are getting on board. Mm-hmm. I, it's hard to say. Send us your theories. Yeah, send us your. I'm going to read this poetry collection, but like I, j- this is I, I don't know what's going to be more interesting. <sighs> I mean, it would have to be like some sort of scandal, right? Like it'd have to be right. something. It, 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 it's hard to imagine good news. That would top this. Um, it's amazing. Really amazing. Really amazing stuff. Four hundred and fifty thousand copies. That was so. You just listened is, to fifteen minutes of us being a gog aloud. <laughs> that's that's what that was. Thank you for listening and, and listening along. Uh, with, we better do another. We should sponsor. all be a gog about. This. We better do another sponsor. Tell me okay, about yes. another sponsor. We have a book called The Call. It is by Patter O'Gillian. Um, I love the pitch for this book. We had it on all the books this week earlier, um, and so I've heard it already. It's um, here's so here's the setup. You wake up alone in a horrible land. A horn sounds. The call has begun, and you have three minutes and four seconds to save your life from the Shide, who are the most beautiful and terrible fairies you've ever seen. Hmm. The main character of the book is a 14-year-old girl named Nessa. She's known that she will be called soon, and no one thinks that she has any chance to survive, but she is going to prove them wrong. Uh, Hmm. This is a heart-stopping, blood-pounding, can't-put-it-down-until-you've-read-the-last-word fantasy thriller, and it invites you to ask if you 
could survive the call. Uh, if you're in the mood for it on audiobook, the audio is narrated by Amy Shields, who um, is on the Showtime revival of Twin Peaks that's coming out <laughs> next year. <Interesting. laughs> so, that's pretty cool. Uh, this is one of those genre bending blends that has fantasy and horror and folklore. Patter O'Gillian grew up in Donegal, Ireland, and uh, these days he lives in Dublin. This is where he toils day and night for a giant corporation. <laughs> So, and then he's writing about evil fairies, which I just think is really wonderful. Uh, the Call is inspired by Irish folklore and fairy tales that the author grew up with in Ireland that he wanted to share with the world. Um, if you've been paying attention to YA trends lately, fairy tale retellings are really hot yeah, right now. And this is like the dark, creepy angle on that. Uh, so again, it's called The Call. It's by Patter O'Gillian. The last name is O apostrophe. G-U-I-L-I-N. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, or you can find it wherever books are sold. That one sounds like a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Let's do some more insider publishing baseball. I'm jumping down the list. Sure, why not? Let's sue authors. Oh, yes. Speaking mm -hmm. of, this is an interesting story, too. Um, again, as soon as I said it had to be a scandal, this one's not as interesting, but also not a scandal, but a big story, and you don't see this happen very often. So as you all know, or I probably, I assume most of you that listen to this show might know, most of the time how it happens when someone signs a book deal, especially a big book deal, you get an advance, right? So you get some amount of dollars as an advance against your royalties of what the book is going to earn. And the royalties for most books these days are what, what are we, 15, 20% of the purchase price, like the hardcover price? I think so, It's yeah. pretty typical. So if you're selling a $25 hardcover book, the author gets five bucks of that, generally speaking. There are exceptions, blah, 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 but for the purpose of this, that makes sense. So if you, if you get a $10,000 advance, you know, that first $10,000 of those advances, your share of those book sales goes towards paying that back. Most books don't earn out their advance. That's how it happens. And then there's the very few like uh, Milk and Honey or the Cursed Child. Well, who knows what the advance, that's a different situation. The Underground Railroad, those places will earn out their advance and then the authors will get royalties on those forever. If your book doesn't earn out, it's, they don't make you pay it back. That's not how this works. That's, you know, that's an understanding. It's like, mm -hmm. we're going to guarantee a certain amount of income for you for this book. If it doesn't earn off, earn off that's the risk the publisher is taking. So, as you, so that, that's just, you need, you need to know that much about Little publishing, publishing. Don't you think, Is there anything else you need to know before we start the story? I think that's enough. No, I know. I think that's pretty good so background So a few here. years ago, it's been a while, like, you know, speaking of weird publishing fads, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, um, mm -hmm. which is a mashup of, you know, taking the actual book of Pride and Prejudice and then adding enough to making it a zombie Yeah, it's from story. 2009. Yeah, and the, the movie came out last year, which is actually a, apparently pretty decent, all things considered, hmm. which surprise here. The author's name was Seth Graham Smith, and he did a line of these. There was... was I can't. There's one about Moby Dick and yeah, something else, and, and and then he did a like an original work called Abraham Lincoln Vampire Vampire Hunter, Hunter yeah, right. which I listened to on audio and is just weird and great, weird and great. Um, and so he he then after those got a big advance from Hachette for some more books, um, yes. for two new works, um, a three million pound deal in 2010, as a lot of money. So we're looking at about. Mm -hmm. I don't know where we are, four and a half to five million uh, uh, Benjamins. Uh, no, that's wrong. That's a hundred. Uh, <laughs> four million. Four, mi let's four go million four dollars. Million. <laughs> he delivered the first book, which was The Last American M uh, Vampire. Um, so, and that was published in 2015. But according to Hachette, the deadline for delivery of the second book was extended from June 2013 to April 2016. So April, three-year extension, almost a three-year three, ex three extension. That is quite an extension. Um, so he delivered the second manuscript in 2016. And then Hachetta says the original 
Um, the, the work was not original to Smith, but instead a large part an appropriation of 120-year-old public domain work, um, and that it materially varies from the 80 to 100,000 word limit he agreed on and is not comparable in style in quality to Smith's wholly original bestseller, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. The novel imagined the 16th U.S. president as nemesis for blah, blah, blah. So Hachette is suing Graham Smith and his company, Baby Gorilla, for $500,000, half of the advance paid him six years ago, plus interest, saying that by delivering a manuscript that varied so materially and substantially from the describing the agreement that he is in breach of contract. A lot of interesting stuff here. So many things here. I really wish that they had said what the 120-year-old what is, what is public it about? domain work what is. It is. About? Because I guess you can't be that surprised that this dude, like... Like he co-op. added zombies to Pride yeah. and Prejudice. So are we... Yeah, there's... No. Yes. We're not surprised We're not that he's surprised taking there. a public domain work, but I guess But that I may guess not the be problem, in the contract. The contract would be, I guess, with the language of the contract is more like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Yeah, that Hunter, it's supposed right? to be more original, not a, not just like an interpretation with some extras yeah. of a classic. The material presumably. varies greatly from the 80 to 100,000 word limit like, he agreed on, so it could be it short, short, way too long, no idea, um, and that we don't. I've heard stories before about publishers suing to get advance back, and I, I can't for the life of me remember. There was one it, a couple years ago. I think we talked ago, about one a couple years and ago. I can't yeah. remember the, the circumstances, but it doesn't happen that often, and to my knowledge. And it certainly doesn't happen at this um, level. Yeah, it, it, if it happens often, it doesn't make it up doesn't to, make it to, to publicity right. like levels of awareness to, very often. To post in The Guardian about it. Yeah. Um, and so we were speculating. We were talking about it on Slack um, and back channels before. You know, we've talked about it here, of course. And we're sort of we were saying, why would they do this? Because five hundred thousand dollars. You know, people know books don't earn out advances all the time. We've somewhat ungenerously joked about City on Fire, right? Mm. Um, so those books, they, but at least they were delivered, right? They got good. They were there. So this is they didn't give and even get to the point where Hachette thinks, you know. It counts, basically. Yeah, at, at delivering right. The it book. seems like they don't think that he acted in good faith yes. of the agreement. Um, and so, so the the the, I mean, the obvious reason would be to get the money back. But as we were saying, I th- I think we were saying that this kind of thing has to be about more than just the five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I think there's a knock on effect right. of like, don't mess with us. Don't deliver your books. <laughs> right. Deliver your especially books. if we give you a three year extension. Yeah. Deliver your but I think you were saying when we were talking about it on Slack, like a million dollar advance is not small potatoes, no. even for a, a company as large as Hachette. It isn't. Is. That's a big gamble. Um, and if you've sold a bunch of books from an author, like like the reason, one of the reasons that you're giving somebody an advance that large is because they have a sales history mm-hmm. that you're willing to bet on. Like in the cases of the debut novels that we were talking about it's often this is a book we want to support. We think we can make it big. There's a yeah. story behind this author, so we can yes. spend a million dollars on home going and attempt to make it a big thing. But when you're talking about a Seth Graham Smith, like if his first two books had tanked, he's not looking at a two book deal mm. for a million dollars. Um, so they've they've got some expectations based on past performance. They've got some expectations based on what his previous work had been. Like he had shown that he could write an original work uh, with the Abraham Lincoln one. Mm-hmm. And presumably that's what they were going for. It's like, now we can trade on his name and we can use original talent. Uh, and he, he did not mm-hmm. deliver 
Um, I'm I think I'm kind of glad to see publishing like stand up for itself. I think so. I mean, without see, <laughs> without knowing anything about the manuscript or their deal, it's hard to say. A three year extension and then you deliver it late, right? It's, it's yeah, still this late. Does not, yeah, it doesn't lend itself well to a generous interpretation. No, it doesn't. And this um, the imprint for Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter was Grand Central Publishing. Um, the other thing I was saying on Slack, I don't know why I feel compelled to qualify that I said this before because literally no one here besides Rebecca <laughs> has heard any of this. Um, and I won't tell. Is if you know the way the imprints work is that that three million dollar advance could be that deal could be the Grand Central Publishing, the imprint of Fachette. And it mm-hmm. could be sitting on their balance sheets, like their P&Ls. And if you're, you know, the managing editor, the acquirer, the whatever, you know, the publisher that's in charge of Grand Central Publishing, having to fork, having to eat a million dollars is not something you want to report up the chain of command. Mm-hmm. You know, so and it, it probably so it may it, so it's about the it definitely is about the money, but it also may not be about the money. It might be about a balance sheet reporting internal, you know, metrics um, and business business internal business things. That if they could get the million dollars some other way, they would. But this is about, you know, a lot of the way the publishers, they're run independently. They run their own P&Ls. They do their own buying. They're acquiring. And then they report up um, to the larger publisher. So this could be Grand Central Publishing just trying to get its ducks in a row as much yeah, as and anything. I think it could also be the effect of sort of backwards-looking sales and yeah. advance giving on what forward-looking budgeting mm. is doing. If you're like, if you're looking at the PL for Grand Central and you're like, how are we going to budget for... So we're in mid-2016 now. They're buying books that they're going to publish in 2018, right. 2019, maybe 2020. How do we go from here? What does this publisher get to spend? What are the authors going to get to acquire? Like, I think... I know I have. I'm pretty sure you have also sat in meetings where editors just straight up admit, like, sometimes we buy and publish books that we don't expect to sell because we need to give the junior editors something to do. Mm -hmm. Like, that is pretty much verbatim a thing that was said to me. Develop talent. I mean, talent development is a thing. Yeah, sure. Sure, talent development. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Well, they're probably looking at this as one of their tentpole things that pays for all the (laughs) other books. Right. Right. Yeah. But if if you this is not bought like you're not buying Seth Graham Smith on the like we just needed to give a junior editor a thing to do. We never expected to sell this. So no big deal. Like when someone's, you know, you know, big small debut novel, they were all I mean, they people are buying these hand over fist Um, in the interim. I'm just looking at um, Seth Graham Smith's biography in the interim. He wrote the screenplay for Tim Burton's film Dark Shadow. So he's been moonlighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I wonder if there's something else going on there. Like you had a yeah. contract, you could have done this, but you went off and took on other gigs and right. you it'll welched, be, basically. And say so it'll be interesting to see if we get a statement from him or some sort of defense of the behavior or like, and I'm going to release this manuscript so people can see the thing that I turned in and at least judge for themselves. Like it, it, it seems to me that if you thought you had done something that was defensible mm. um, in, in this internet age. You think you've done something that's defensible and you're like wanting to, and you're not under like any NDA where you can't do it. Yeah. There would, there's a world in which someone is like, here's my manuscript public. Look how unfair right. Hachette was being. It's not an appropriation. Yeah. It's a little long or maybe it's a little short, but like it's in service of the work. Like you can see a universe where the, an author might do that, but mm-hmm. I think that I will be – I wish that we could see what this thing was. I have a lot of unanswered questions. <laughs> I would be really, really surprised if magically, you know, we had the manuscript in front of us and we're like, boy, oh, yeah. this feels like it meets the requ- – I, 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 right. to get to this point, it really seems to me – and I, I look at publishing like I look at any industry where, you know, it's an industry. So I, I have no special 
affinity for publishing as being a good actor, let's say. Right. But I still, in this case, I would be surprised. I mean, the the other option I hadn't thought about until just now is that this is part of some kind of negotiation tactic mm. where they want him to deliver a book. And, they, you know, like maybe if he counters, say, okay, okay, I'll, I'll you know, I'll write another 30,000 words if it's short and I'll change, I'll actually get, you know, this is, this is showing the, the whip to the horse, right? Mm-hmm. This is, right. you have to do this. You know, you have to provide or you're going to have to cough up cash or you're going to have to pay a lawyer to defend yourself. You know, like, mm-hmm. which of these do you want to do? Of the above, which yeah. of these would you rather do? And it could be that Hachette really wants him to finish a book that they can publish. Um, and in, and short of that, they're going to make it painful in public that he hasn't mm-hmm. done it. Oh, I'm going to be waiting. <laughs> See what comes next. Yeah. I, you know, I have to give props to whoever picks the featured images at the Guardian too. Like <laughs> the <laughs> Seth Graham Smith. No, that is like, a shout it, out. That is, it is like out. a this is like a smug face he's making mm. in this photo that the Guardian used. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah, in this piece. If they were in, if they were inclined to be favorable to Seth, <laughs> that's not the image they would use. <laughs> yeah, that's think. not it. Yeah. Let's do another sponsor. <laughs> Okay, yeah. yeah. FabFitFun is sponsoring us this week. I think it might be their first time. I think so, on, on this show. This show. So. We've had them on all the books before. Uh, so if you are unfamiliar or you just need a refresher, FabFitFun is a subscription box that contains premium, full-sized fashion, beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. Tell me what full-size um, mean. It took me a minute to realize what that, what do okay, they mean by right. full-size? So, like, if you get Birchbox, uh-huh. for instance, those are mostly sample sizes. Yes. Like, you know, two, like two little pumps of lotion or an eyeshadow that you could use twice, that kind of thing. These are the full size products like you would buy straight off the shelf in Sephora or your you know local drugstore. Um, I kind of think about this as like a treat yourself, live your best life box. Uh-huh. Um, it's targeted primarily to female customers and it does contain fashion and beauty and fitness and lifestyle stuff. So, um, well, we both got sample We did. I got a sample this box. This time around, which I is did. fun. But, um, so the facts first. The I'm box neither retails- fast fit nor fun, but I, so I, could, <laughs> I, need, I need all this stuff. <laughs> um, the FabFitFun box retails for $49.99, but it always has a value over $200. I've gotten several sample boxes from them, and I can confirm it feels like there's it, the box is full and it's nicely displayed, and there's always a lot of stuff. Um, the fall box that's out this season, they do one every season, has a value of $250. If you want to get in on it, you can go to FabFitFun.com and use the coupon code RIOT to get $10 off your first box. Mm. Um, they sent us so the sample boxes that we got were spring boxes they have um bath bombs which my kids which, find delightful they're so much fun they're there a bath I, I don't even want to describe it. like it's this it's it's this ball of like compressed stuff and you put it in the <laughs> bath and it does it like it like I, turns into things i want like a podcast that's just men describing 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 products. health beauty and wellness <laughs> products yeah it's like uh it, it basically disintegrates into into pleasure uh, and, 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 and <laughs> also a phrase frequently yeah. used in romance there you novels. Go. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. um, there was a cool yoga strap that's a uh, that serves dual purposes. You can either use it to like hook onto the ends of your yoga mat to make it a carrying strap, or you can use it as an actual strap to help you in different yoga poses. Mm. Um, the fall box can, and those are just a few of the things. Yeah. They're usually gift cards and like offer codes for some of the partner retailers that they work with. You get like argon hair, uh, argon oil for your hair. Um, the fall box, we don't want to give away all the details, but it contains um, a skin serum, 
Serum, an eyeshadow palette, lavender body oil, a scarf from Mod Cloth. Um, past boxes have had stuff like these, um, the bath bombs that we're talking about. They have, uh, there's always some sort of exercise thing. There's been a Pilates DVD, a Zumba DVD. Um, I've gotten necklaces in a few of them. It's a really, I think it's really lots nice. Of, lots a of nice, oils like, and balms and salves and ointments. <laughs> a lot of that, you know, for your, under your eyes and mm-hmm. over your eyes, around your eyes, things like that too. It's a nice, like I'm at, terrible at girling. It's a treat yourself way. for ladies. Like, That's a very treat it's yourself a, it's, for ladies. It's very situation. treat yourself. Like I'm super intimidated by going into a It all a smells fantastic. That's, the, I, that's what I noticed. Like everything smells and, so good. Yeah. And so if you are into stuff like, you know, all of if you are into the fashion and beauty products, you're going to like the stuff that you get in the box. If you're like me and Sephora scares you, this is a great way to discover new products um, without having to like deal with the all those beautiful women whose makeup is always perfect in a public place. <laughs> um, I think and it's a really nice gift, especially like if you want to buy something for somebody going into back to school, if you're thinking about something for the holiday season in advance, these are great. Or if you just want to treat yourself. I really think that you should. Um, So you go to fabfitfun.com. You use the offer code RIOT to get $10 off your first box. And if you refer a friend, you're going to get $15 off of your box and their friend will get $10 off of theirs. So everybody can treat themselves. It's fun. And, if, if yeah, it's it's fun. I have to, uh, Michelle got it, it was delivered and I didn't know it was coming the sample and she's mm-hmm. like and it had my name on it and she's like what is this? <laughs> she's like Jeff. Jeff. Did, did you really need retail therapy? And so we looked in, so we, we opened it together and I was like, oh, I know what this is. And we had fun. Like, she's going to use a lot of it. I, it's, mm-hmm. it's fun. She, it got her thumbs up. Uh, I can, I can uh, report. Uh, yeah, as I well. think it's a, it's a great subscription box and it really does have a lot of value. So again, fabfitfun.com, use the offer code Riot for $10 off. And thanks to them for sponsoring. Are you ready for some side eye from me? Yeah, I wondered if we were going to do side eye. Well, Let's get do you there. know what this is? You know what store I'm going to talk about? The Kindle Reading Fund. Yeah, no, no, actually no? not that. Um, oh. there, I have a little side. This is the Subway Reading thing. Okay, let's do dual side. Do eye. dual side eye. Um, so this is a new pro- program, New York City Subway free eBooks timed for your commute. Random House is partnering with um, the MTA to deliver uh, e-reads that are matched to the length of your commute. So if you've got a 20-minute trip, they're going to give you a 20-page selection. Um, there's an app. You can download it. That That's the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Subway Reads. Um, do you know where my side eye is coming from on this? Can you guess? <laughs> there's so many possible angles for side eye yeah. here. Because this you. is one of those stories we I, I linked to it and I saw people tweeting. I was like, isn't this cool? And there is a cool factor like free books on the train. Great. Whatever. Uh-huh. Fine. <laughs> My side eye is nobody cares how long the read is. No, no one cares if it's 20. No, no one's like, you know what? I'm only going to read something if I can finish it on the train, right? Who's ever th- – who, has anyone ever said that? Like this is one of those solutions in search of – I need something to read but it's just today. Just right. And you know what? If, it, if, it's, if it's good and six hours, then damn you, random ass. <laughs> you – this is like a solution in search of a problem situation yeah, to it, me. It's it like really no one is. cares. No one cares think, how long it is. 
I think the only time that readers care about length of a book and matching a thing is when you're talking about like, I've got a road trip and I need an audiobook that I can finish on this road trip. Like we've yeah. seen at least anecdotally, we see those. Or that's long enough among... that it, it won't, you know, I, I need enough right. audiobook hours to get me to Duluth and back, you know? Yes. But like, I'm going to train yeah. in a, by the time you download it, like I need something that's a, first of all, if you know exactly how long your commute's going to be that time on the subway, you did better than I did living 15 years in New York. Yeah. Because yes, maybe it should <laughs> be 20 minutes. Congrats. You've got the 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 system wired, uh, my dear. But like it just it just feels like a marketing thing it to is. do That's, for the purposes yes. of marketing, no. but in actual it's, practice there's nothing here. Yeah, it's a marketing tactic. Yeah. Like it's it's just a marketing tactic with dressed up as a gift we're giving you. Yes. And it's not a gift. No. Like no one care. You're 100% right. No one cares. Like I'm my train rides only 10 minutes and so I'm only going to read 10 pages. Like this is publishers hoping they can hook you cuz these are um novellas, short stories and excerpts of full-length books and at least in the images in this piece the half, covers that half I can of them see. are not full-length novels yeah they're all novels and so it's like they're like this is transparently if they were being transparent they would be like we're really hoping that you're gonna buy open city by Tasha yes, Cole if we and give so it here, to you for 12 minutes because you're right, going so to here's, Times Square <laughs> here's 12 minutes worth um we picked the best 12 minutes I, I don't <laughs> what like it's this is not a gift it's a sales attempt and no, that's fine that's but fine that's not that's fine that you can attempt it's like this feels like just the newest thing. Like four years ago, all the publishers were building Goodreads knockoffs. <laughs> yeah. You know, like here we built you this social network that you don't need because you already have one. Mm. But we built you this social network that's, that's no just better about our and books. Probably worse. Because and it was right. Like the problem, the scare quotes problem was that at the time, the story publishers were telling was readers just don't know how to find new books and like. That was not true. The real problem was publishers could not find readers to sell them the books they wanted them mm -hmm, to buy. Right. So it was like, maybe if we build them a magical social network, we can make them discover the books that we want them to discover. And that has sort of gone by the wayside. But this new like offering of excerpts of things that we're hoping to sell, but wrapping up the excerpts as a gift that matches something like the length of your flight or the length of your commute, like it's, I find it a little insulting like, mm -hmm. I don't like to be told I'm being given a gift when you want to sell me a thing. Just sell me a thing. I'll listen to a good sales pitch. Yeah, and we talked um, – there was also – I think HarperCollins, unsurprisingly, was the one mucking around with it of like contextually free ebooks. Remember, like you would get um, yeah. the Wright Brothers at the Air and Space Museum, mm -hmm. but you get the whole book. Right. Like, and I don't – and I think we even said at the time, I don't know what the point of that was. I mean, if you're – that is a situation where giving a relevant excerpt might be like it's contextual because you care about the thing that the book is about at that particular mm -hmm. moment. No, like me at the museum with Beaks of Finches, yeah, exactly. frankly, not like, unlike that. If there had been a little standee thing next to a Finch exhibit yeah. that had a paragraph and was like, do you know, Scan, this is, this, go to this right, and you this can get the first three chapters to try yeah. out or the first audio chapter. I would have definitely done that. But this is like discovery based on time constraint, which. Well, and it just doesn't seem like that's a thing. I just it's can't. It's not a thing. Like, it's a hammer in search of a nail, and the nail doesn't exist. Yeah. And then you put this next to 
sales and earnings are down 10% over last year. And this is where the money's going, like developing these programs and then developing apps to deliver them and then doing whatever gymnastics you have to do to secure additional rights or whatever. Like that's money spent on app development. It's money spent on resources. It's money spent on your employees' time. Like this is what you're doing to try to point your business back in the positive direction. Interestingly, this story, the New York Times story, um, said that the transit officials approached PRH about this. Like it wasn't Hmm. PRH first because apparently the subway had run a similar deal with the London Underground last year celebrating Penguin's 80th anniversary. So they liked it. So I like that, that, you know, the transit officials. But if you and I aren't interested in this, who is – are they going to get 1,000 people to even try this? No, and it seems to me like you don't have to go to every party you're invited to. Like it's nice that the transit people liked this, but the transit people are not publishing professionals, book sales, you know, Mm -hmm. experts. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's my side eye uh, about about that. And again, it's harmless. You know, it's just – but it's like it's a lot of effort, it seems, to build to someone like mm-hmm. you'd like you'd like to think that when you announce something like this, like people like us who are interested in exactly this kind of thing, technology, discovery, industry, you know, trying innovation, innovation yeah. trying stuff out, are like, you know what, I too it's too bad I'm not on the train right now, because I'd totally love to try this. If I was if I was on the A train underground stuck for two hours, <laughs> I wouldn't try this right now. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it, especially because there's Wi-Fi in all the trains, so I can like is, I can like, go read. I can go buy a book or read. Like is Twitter. one of the is one of the options on here that you need something that like you're stuck for an indefinite amount of time. How to survive stuck in a subway tunnel? An excerpt. It's a it's a book that expands or contracts based on how long you're stuck. It's like the, oh, wait, the book of requirements, book can, like in Harry Potter. Like the book is or, just exactly as long, but it, it's or you minutes. could just. You could just read as many pages as you need. That's what to. I'm. This is what I'm. This is what I'm seeing. Uh, this I don't know. It's like so much effort, and I'm sure it cost a thousand billion dollars to do. And they're promoting mm-hmm. it, and blah blah blah. And no one's yeah, gonna think, read it you know, because no one cares. Like, it's harmless, but it's not a. It's not a net. Well, it's opportunity zero, cost. I mean, right? harm like, is exactly. Yeah, right, yeah. It's there's not harm done, but it's there's opportunity cost here that like. You could just do you could do something that's more interesting. This is more interesting. I, let's end on a cool. Yeah, note. let's end on a cool. Note. Tell like me about this. You do this. Okay, one, yeah. this is great news. I just came across it this morning. It's great, but it's also one of those like it's 2016. It took us this mm. long sort of notes, but um, there now on is a comic shop on the East Coast owned by a black woman. And this is the first comic shop to be owned by a black woman on the East Coast. It's called Amalgam Comics. It's in Philly. Uh, It also has a coffee house. So that satisfies O'Neill's requirement um, for bookstores. Uh, and the woman who owns it is named Arielle Johnson. Uh, mm. She has been a longtime comic fan and reader. She was first inspired by Storm in the X-Men comics. Um, she's been, you know, a comics reader for a long time. Uh, and she's now, you know, breaking new ground. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot in the last couple of years just in the industry, but also us specifically at Book Riot. And as we opened Panels, which was our comics website, which now is rolling over, coming home to the mothership. Coming home. It's be coming on Book home. Riot Comics is uh, going to be available at bookriot.com starting September 7th. Um, but we've been talking about how comics had long catered towards white guys. Um, and the industry was recognizing women as passionate readers, the largest growing segment 
segment of comic book readers are women um, and people of color, women of color, especially um, seeking more involvement and more representation in the world of comics. So if you are in Philly, or nearby, please go take a field trip um, and check out Amalgam Comics and Coffee House owned by Ariel Johnson. Uh, I want to talk to her about this experience. There's a great video with her at the top of the piece that we'll link to. It's from CNN. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think this is very cool. I'm glad to see it. I'm sad it took this long, um, but really cool to uh, see a black woman becoming the first on the whole East Coast to own a comic yeah, shop. Yeah, if you make it to Philly, go check it out. Yeah. Go check it out. Uh, that's I our... think that's her show. That's our show. That's, That's our, our show. good news. We reversed our side eye. Yeah, there. we did. Reverse side eye. Um, for show notes, you go to bookwrite.com slash listen. I guess the reader feedback we're listening, we're especially excited about this week. Um, and you guys have been great. And I've responded to a bunch of you that have asked and answered. Oh, a quick follow-up at the end here. about I, We asked about Oprah's book club being a thing in other countries. Um, oh, and got yeah. some responses. I, I'm sorry. I meant to tell you about some of this. But um, in Australia, in the UK, and Dubai – like there are stickers on books that are say Oprah's book club picks, but in terms of like having like social currency, basically none. So mm -hmm. like they, they're using the sticker to try to, I guess, catch your eye more, but no one kind of cares. That's, that's the feedback we're getting, which okay. I guess is what I maybe would have guessed. It makes yeah. sense to me um, that that's how, that's how that works. Um, anyway, so uh, our feedback, we want to know if you've heard of Milk and Honey, um, if you've read it, if so, how, if you can remember anything like that, we're super interested in that. Um, I guess that's it. Thanks to our three sponsors, Audible, The Call, and Fib That Fun. And we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. <laughs>